Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and I have the honor to once again introduce today's message to you as we continue our series called This Means War. If you are a follower of Christ, you are engaged in a war whether you recognize it or not. In week three, we move to the New Testament and look at the power that we have in the battle. And so get ready to step out onto the battlefield. Good morning. We are here in week three of our series called This Means War. And uh, last week we continued, my voice for some reason, it sounds really whiny, and it's driving me crazy because I hate whiny sounding voices, but uh, last week we continued our discussion uh, in regards to uh, uh, this means war, and um, we looked at how we are engaged in and how we are to fight. And what we did was we headed to the book of Exodus, and we looked at a story involving Moses and the nation of Israel. And, and what was going on was the, the Israelites were coming out of slavery in Egypt, and as they were headed to the promised land, they faced their first battle. Okay, it was the first fight, and this was a real army that they came up against. This was a real fight that they were engaged in. However, in that fight, there were spiritual principles. There were things that we could draw out of the text in order to help us in the spiritual conflicts and the spiritual battles that we face each and every single day in our life. And and what we saw, first of all, in that was that the Amalekites, when they attacked the Israelite army, they didn't just come at them, you know, front lines against front lines and went on the attack. The Amalekites, they came up from behind. They came up from the sides. They picked off the weak. They picked off the sick. They picked off the old. They picked off those who were just tired and couldn't be with the rest of the group. They slowly took those people out. And what we saw in that was that it had a direct application to our lives in this. Many times in our lives, the places that we are attacked by Satan are those places that are on the fringe of our lives. It's that sin that we've got trailing behind that we don't want to do anything with. It's that stuff that we've got going on that we know that God doesn't want there, but we want it there, and so we leave it there. And so what Satan does is he recognizes that he can get a foothold in our life And so he goes after those things and attacks us in those areas. And so what we needed to do in order to make sure that those areas were not vulnerable to attack was we needed to shore up and tighten up our defenses. And the best way to tighten up our defenses when it comes to sin is to ask God to search our hearts. And so that was our prayer last week. We're going to ask God to search our hearts and show us the areas of our life that we were straggling behind, that we had sin left behind in so that, so that Satan couldn't attack those, so that we could repent of those, so that we could ask for forgiveness and then kind of shore up those areas and protect them and keep them from being a weak spot. Then the second thing we did was we looked right into the story and uh, Moses headed to the top of the hill raised his hands up in battle while holding the staff of God in one hand. And that's the next thing that we need to do. And so what does that mean? Um, This is what I think. Uh, I believe that even though the text doesn't say it, that Moses, when he went up there and lifted up his hands, he was engaged in prayer. He was praying. He was seeking God. He was asking God to give the Israelites the hand in the battle, the hand uh, in the fight, the hand in the war. Why? Because they were an untrained army going against a trained army. And I'm sure Moses thought to himself, the only way that we are going to win this fight in battle is if God intervenes for us because we don't have the training, we don't have the skill. And so when we face situations in our lives where the enemy is coming in and attacking, the same principle needs to apply. We need to step up. We need to raise up our hands and enter into God's presence through prayer. But we need to pray like Moses prayed. Because a lot of times what we do, Sister Hazel, is that you back there? What on earth? (laughs) 
Sorry, that, that caught me by surprise. I didn't, I didn't expect to see her back there. All of a sudden, I see a hand go up, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not Judd. All right, sorry, now I got myself all off track. And, uh, and so we need to get into God's presence and pray. But see, Moses, what we do a lot of times is we'll go to prayer, dear God, help me in this battle, and that's it, we're done. In that text, Moses prayed from the time the battle started until the battle ended. He was up all day from sunrise until sunset praying. He kept praying and praying and praying until the battle was over, and we need to do the same thing. Because too many times we just say one prayer, we quit, and we walk away. But God is saying, look, you need to step up to the battlefield of prayer and pray and pray and pray until the battle is over. We not only should pray with our words, but we also need to allow the Holy Spirit to pray through us. When we come to the end of our words, when we come to the end of what we can say in situations, the Holy Spirit can take over our prayer time. He can speak things in language and words that we don't understand. And that's what happened just a few minutes ago in our service. If you were uh, wondering what what on earth, what happened in our, our worship time is God spoke a word through something called tongues. It's in the Bible and then somebody gave the translation to us. But when we're praying, God can use those words. The Holy Spirit uses those words to speak to God. And he speaks to God exactly what we need, exactly what we're going through, exactly what we need in whatever situation we're facing. How does he know? Because he's with us. He lives in us. And because the Holy Spirit is with us, he can see the spiritual stuff that's going on in our lives that we cannot and can speak to God directly for those situations. We also need to gather people around us in prayer. Moses got tired. What did he do? He got help praying. He got Aaron. He got her to stand on either side of him and help lift his hands up in prayer. The battle was long. He wasn't going to be able to do it alone, and we need the same thing. We can't enter into the battle by ourselves and think we're going to make it. We're going to be dead meat. We're going to be toast. We're going to be destroyed. Look, when we face the battle, when we go into the war, we need people around us. We need to have other believers. They are necessary partners so that we can be victorious. And then finally, Moses had the staff of God in his hand. What's the staff of God? Well, that staff that Moses held in his hand was a symbol of the presence of God. It was the staff that Moses used to bring the ten plagues on Egypt. It was the staff that Moses used when he split the Red Sea when they were fleeing Egypt. It was the staff that Moses struck the rock with in the first half of chapter 17 of Exodus that brought water so that the nation of Israel and their flocks could drink where there was no water to be found. See, the staff was the power and presence of God to the Israelites. And so when we are faced in the battle, we also need to get whatever it is that brings us into the presence of God in our lives. And so if breaking out the Bible and reading from the Bible, suddenly we feel the power and presence of God in that, then when we go into that war, when we engage in that battle, we break out that word. If worship brings us into the presence of God, when we enter into the battle, we put on a worship CD, we listen to that music, we sing to that music, and we allow the presence presence of God to fill our situation and fight in the place that we are in. And when we put all of those things together, together, that gives us part of our battle plan to engage in this spiritual conflict. And so that was last week. And so we're going to move on to where we're headed today. And we're going to head over to the New Testament. And I'm going to read verses to you that set the foundation for, we are go- for where we are going for the next few weeks. And those verses are found in the book of 2 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 10, 
And so you're welcome to turn there if you're familiar with where 2 Corinthians is at. Uh, These words that we are about to read are very powerful statements about the reality of the conflict that we are engaged in. I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 6 in 2 Corinthians of chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and this is what it says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. See, these verses tell us that we have weapons. These verses tell us that we have power at our disposal that can destroy. They can destroy everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And I hope your thought was when I was reading that text and you heard about this power but didn't hear where these weapons come from, I hope you said to yourself, tell me more because I want the power, I want the weapons, I want the stuff that's available to me as a follower of Jesus so I can fight against these spiritual forces that are coming against my life. And the little thing that drives me crazy here about Paul is he doesn't actually tell us what those weapons are, he just tells us that they're there and then kind of leaves us hanging. And, um, um, and so with those weapons, they're powerful. They can take down some fear, spiritual forces that we face. And so we've got to go looking to find out in other places what these weapons are. But fortunately, we have, I believe, a one-stop section that helps us to answer all of those questions. And the answer comes two books later in the book, uh, a letter that Paul wrote to the city at the church, or the church at the city of Ephesus. It's called the letter to the Ephesians. And so what I want to do is I want to read where I think Paul answers this question in Ephesians chapter 6. And if you've been around the church a lot or read your Bible a lot, you've probably read these verses and they're familiar to you. Um, We're going to be reading verses 10 through 18 in chapter 6 of the book of uh, Ephesians. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen behind me, but this is what it says. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. All right, so we've got these two sections that we looked at, 2 Corinthians and then Ephesians. And, and the, the first connection that I see between these two things is this. They both talk about God's power. 
In the first verse we read, or the first section that we read in 2 Corinthians, it talks about the divine power that's needed that we can tap into to demolish the spiritual forces arrayed against us. Then in Ephesians, it opens up by telling us to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And so these sections, I think, are trying to communicate clearly to us that there is a power that is available to us, that there is a power that we have access to that can help grant us the victory in the spiritual battles that we face against the demonic forces that are coming against us. And of course, with that, when we are looking for power, when we are looking for what it takes to gain victory in the spiritual fight that we are fighting, there's really only one place that we can find it. That spiritual power is found in God. See, we look look at the weapons that we have here on this earth, the weapons that we fight wars against here on this planet, and nuclear bombs, yes, those are incredible, powerful weapons, but they pale in comparison to the power of God with which he has to fight this battle. His power is, first of all, so strong that it can withstand any attack and successfully oppose any kind of force. See this word strong here in uh, Ephesians chapter 10, verse 6, that word strong, that's exactly what it means. It means it's so strong, it's so powerful. We know big, muscular guys. We had, we had Jerome King here from the NFL about a month ago, and he was taking uh, pan, frying pans and rolling them up, and he took two license plates, and he ripped them in half, and he broke a bat, and we're like, dude, that is strong. But you know what? Jerome King is movable. How do I know that? He'd still be playing in the NFL now if he wasn't, okay? Let's just put that out there because he is only like 28. But God's power, God's presence is an immovable force. If your offensive line in football was made up of God's power, your quarterback would never get sacked. He would never go down because his force is immovable. But let's talk also about power here, because not only does it talk about strength, it talks about power. And the Greek word here is kratos. Kratos power is a power that is demonstrated. In other words, this kind of power is not one that you simply believe it's there. It's not one that you look and you go, yeah, it's God, I believe that power is there. See, this power is a power that you can only experience. This power is demonstrative, It's eruptive, and it's real. It always comes with some kind of tangible, external, outward manifestation that one can see. It's not a hypothetical power that you hope is there. It's a power that you actually, literally, and physically encounter. You see the results, its effects, and its aftermath. That means that in this battle, we have the strength of an unmovable force that can oppose any any enemy And we have a real power that shows up and makes itself known. This is the kind of stuff we want in battle, right? But I think for many of us, we don't really think it's there because we don't really ever see it in operation ever, do we? We say to ourselves, man, I've never seen that. I know, have no idea to how, how to access it. I've heard people talk about it, like I've heard pastors talk about it, but I've never been able to see it or access it. Well, this is the best part of this whole deal. See, if you are a follower of Jesus, that power is available to you. 
Do you see it says in the Lord? That means his power is only available in the Lord, but where is the Lord? Jesus is living inside each and every single one of us in this room if we are a follower of Jesus. And what that means is this power that we just described is sitting inside of your heart, is sitting inside of your mind. It's living inside of you right now, just waiting to come out and be released. And that means that whenever we want, there is a fresh surge of this superhuman spiritual power and strength just waiting for the taking. And I know what you're thinking, yeah, right. I don't really think that because I've never really seen that. Well, I think the, uh, the reason that we don't see more of God's power moving and working in our lives, um, I think, uh, okay, sorry. Um, we've never seen or experienced in that life, and I think this response is the reason why, do, why we don't see God's power moving and working more. See, we look at that, we hear what I just said, and we say to ourselves, well, that's nice, but I've never seen that, and so I really don't think that's going to happen. And because that's our response, we don't see more of God's power moving and working in our lives, especially in this war that we are fighting. And we say things to ourselves like, if there is so much power in me, um, why, when I try to stop this spiritual war in my life, does nothing change? Well, let me illustrate it like this. Uh, how many of you remember the, uh, the invasion of Iraq in 2003? Do we have some people that remember that? Some of you actually fought uh, in that. Uh, some of you probably weren't even born yet uh, when that took place. It just blows my mind to think that it's something that's kind of fresh in my mind, and it's like there's people in this room who weren't even born yet when that happened. <sighs> um, but for those that remember, what did the U.S. call their kind of how they were going about their military strike on Iraq? They had, they had a two-word or three-word phrase, and was in the middle of it, but do you remember what it was called, their attack method, purpose, their plan, whatever it was? Shock and awe. See, this tactic was based on the use of overwhelming power to intimidate and strike fear in the opponent. They figured that if they just overwhelmed them with the incredible power and authority that the U.S. government had in their military, that the Iranian or Iraqi army would just collapse and run in fear because of the power. And so that was kind of the, the tactic. That was the, uh, the, the, how they carried that out. And it wasn't like they just went to war, the U.S. started this shock and awe, and then all of a sudden the Iraqis just gave up. See, it took three weeks of shock and awe for the battle to come to the end. But there was still battles that were faced each and every single day, even after George Bush declared an end to all military operations. As a matter of fact, the bloodiest battle of the taking of the, the country of Iraq took place one year after the original shock and awe and the, the time being declared as major battle over. It was the fight for the city of Fallujah. It was considered the bloodiest battle for the freedom of Iraq. And see, the exact same thing happens in this spiritual conflict there, that we are in. There's a battle. The power of God is released, and the enemy takes, hit, takes hits, but the satanic forces just don't crumble. 
See, we have to remember that the satanic forces do have power. They do have ability. They do have a means and a way to fight and thwart the power of God. There's this event that comes from the book of Daniel I want to read from next to illustrate this. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. We're just going to have it on the screen. And it's going to be verses 12 through 14. This is what it says. It says, then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, uh, your, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And so what happened here? An angel of God was dispatched to speak to Daniel um, when he started to pray, but the prince of Persia, the Persian kingdom resisted him for 21 days. It's kind of a picture of a satanic power uh, whose, whose kingdom, he was kind of over the Persian kingdom. And so when, when Daniel started praying for his response, because the question was, when is the Persian kingdom going to fall? And so when the angel was sent out to dispatch this answer to Daniel to find out, to know the dates and the times, the prince of Persia didn't want to find out he didn't want anybody knowing about when Persia was going to fall and so this demonic authority stood before this person who was dispatched from God to give an answer to Daniel and he resisted him for 21 days I mean think about that this person came from God this angel came from God to offer assistance and uh, and he was opposed by a demonic power and force that held him for 21 days until Michael the chief of the archangels came and was able to resist and push back the Persian, the prince of the Persian kingdom. This means that there are levels and rank to the power that angels and demons have. And so sometimes the battle going on around us needs a more powerful force dispatched to it to bring an end to the conflict. How did the help come? It seemed that Daniel continued to pray for 21 days while he was waiting for an answer going back once again to last week, and as he prayed, God sent out more firepower to help with the battle that Daniel was engaged in. And you may be thinking to yourself, oh, wait a minute, though. I mean, we're talking about God. We're talking about this power. We're talking about this unmatched power. Couldn't God just come along and say, look, man, I'm sick and tired of all these demons screwing around with stuff. I'm so sick and tired. I'm just going to wipe out all of those demons. He could do that. He has the power to do that. but he has chosen not to do that. I know it's frustrating to wait and engage in these battles and fights, suffering losses and having to undergo rounds of attacks, but I can tell you that one day God is going to wipe them out, but now is not the time. I wish I had a better answer for you than that, but God has decided that he's not going to wipe them out yet. There's an appointed time and day when that will come, and if you want to read more about it, go ahead and read the book of Revelation, and it'll tell you all about the defeat of Satan and his minions and their casting into the lake of fire, but until that day comes, we're going to have to fight, we're going to have to battle, we're going to have to go to war against these spiritual forces. All right, so now let's answer the question, why don't we see this power operating in our everyday life? And I think there's one simple answer to this question. And I want to start by looking at Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, these two letters that we read. Let's talk about Paul's life, okay? He was so, this, this, I mean, he was just so, with this information, he was so excited to get this out to the church. He wanted the church to know about the power and authority they had. 
Because Paul, each and every single day, was living it. Every time he stepped out those doors, God was moving and working in miraculous ways, and he needed the power of God. He needed the power of God to plant the churches that he was planting. He needed the power of God in order to tell people about Jesus, because he was talking to people every single day about Jesus. Was He even needed that power to run his tent-making business, which he did on the side to support himself in all of these various aspects and ministries that he was doing. Each and every single day, Paul got up and saw that he needed to access and tap into the power of God in order to make sure that he did not fall to the enemy's attacks. But times have changed. See, we think that God's power is there for us only when we do not have the power in us to do it on our own. And that is our basic problem. We don't want to bother God. We don't want to seem like we can't handle it. So we do the battle on our own and leave the power of God sitting there until we quote unquote really need God. I'll talk to Jesus and ask for his power when the problem gets to a place that I can't handle it anymore. See, because we think that it's a sign of weakness that we've got to go to God and ask for his power in situations and circumstances. But when you look at the life of Paul and the words that Paul spoke, he had the exact opposite perspective. He said, in my weakness, I am made strong. We get it backwards, we flip it around. See, it's when we're weak and we look at those situations and those spiritual battles that we face and we say to ourselves, God, I can't do it unless you're with me, you empower me, you come with that strength and that power that you say you have. And it's when we get to that point that we can do that, that God's presence and power can be released in our life. See, this is a lie and tactic of Satan, and it's a lie that's very pervasive in America. Our country was built on the concept of rugged individualism. It says, I don't need anyone or anything else. I can make it all on my own. I am strong, I am smart, and I am skilled. I'm going to be honest with all of you in this room right now. You are not strong enough, smart enough, or skilled enough to defeat the spiritual enemy that we are all facing. He's smarter, he's stronger, and he's more skilled And the only way you are going to gain the victory is if you put down your pride and realize that your weakness is a doorway to the power of God. And it's walking through that doorway that we will be able to fight and win the spiritual battle that we are in. Stop thinking you can do it on your own. You can't. And trying to do it on your own is what's keeping you from the power that you have access to in this fight. Oh, wait a minute, okay, but I'm just not that spiritual. you got to understand, I'm not that super spiritual person. That's another lie you are believing. See, each and every single Wednesday, we have, this last Wednesday, we had 160 people come through here to get food for their families, 160 families. And each one of those families that comes in, each one of those people that comes in, they're offered an opportunity to be prayed for. Myself, Terry, 
and Michelle Harvey are uh, there praying for people. Every week as we pray and as people come back, we start to hear stories how prayers were answered by God. Tumors shrinking, sickness leaving, finances breaking, and the list could go on. And you're saying to yourself, so what's the point of that? Here's the deal. Think about who's praying. Okay, Terry and I, we're both pastors, but think about Michelle. She's not a pastor. She's not someone you would call a spiritual giant. She's just a regular believer like you, and really like Terry and I, but, uh, but people don't like to think that. And as she comes here, and as she taps in to the power of God by asking God to come into the situation that people are facing. As she comes and she prays and she asks God to move and work and intervene in whatever's going on in people's lives, God shows up in power and answers her prayer requests. See, that's as spiritual as you need to be. You just need to be able to step up and say, God, I'm coming to you. I need your power. I need your presence. I need you to come and move and work in my situation. He doesn't give power based on position. He doesn't look at somebody and say, well, that person's super holy. They get more power. That person's only kind of holy, so they get, they get a different level of power. God gives us all the same level of power, but it's up to each one of us in this room to determine if we are going to tap into that power in our lives, but it's there and it's available to each one of us to use in the spiritual battle that we are facing on a daily basis. And so in closing, there's two things. There's two things that we're gonna ask for you for a response about. There's some of you sitting in this room right now and you're saying to yourselves, I need that power right now. There's something going on in your life. It feels like hell is coming in all around you. It's closing in. It's crushing you. It's crushing your family. That power is in this room. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying to yourself, I need that power, we're going to ask you to come to the front in just a second so that somebody can come and pray for you and ask God to release that power in and on your life. Then the second thing is this. Some of you need the courage to admit that you've been the rugged, individualistic American thinking that you don't need God's power, and you need to come up here this morning and say, God, look, I'm tired of chasing this thing on my own. I'm tired of trying to fight this battle on my own. God, I want to give over to you this weakness so that in my weakness, you can be made strong. And so I'm just going to ask for people who God has been speaking to them, you need this power right now, or you need to admit that you haven't been tapping into it like you should to come to the front of the room. And I'm going to ask our prayer team, after people have come forward, if you would come behind those who are at the front, just lay your hands on somebody, pray for them, ask God to move and work in their lives. You can ask them even what they're up there for, because if they need God to move and work in a situation right now, we want to pray for that. And so the front of the room is open. 
Let's let God display his power and presence in our church so that we can gain, so that we can have, so that we can walk in the victory that he gives. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church Podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.